0: Are you sitting comfortably? Are you in your favorite well-worn chair with your bottom imprints that have been there for decades? Maybe you're reclined back on a hammock that's secured by a therm trunk. How are your glutes doing? Have you stretched today? Are you feeling relaxed and ready for the weekend? Have you recently had the beans on your beanbag replaced? Because, you know, a beanbag can get rather saggy and, uh, you know, you do have to replace those beans regularly. I just want to know that everybody who's out there is in the perfect position to feel relaxed, reclined and ready for some audio entertainment over the next hour or so. That's all. So how are you my little pastries? Are you a more of a buttery pastry or more of a Danish? The Danish pastry seems a little bit more messy, a little bit more naughty, doesn't it? But you know what? I wouldn't want to be a dry uh chocolat. Because you know, they do get a little bit stale. I've had a pain chocolat recently from a reputable cafe and uh, it's sort of mid-afternoon and it lost its flakiness. It's lost, you, know, you do want a slight flakiness to your pastry. And I do like, uh, you know, I, I might pop that baby in the microwave and get that chocolate melting. Because you don't want the hard chocolate when you bite into it. You want it to be melty. You want it to be dripping down your chin. You want the pastry flaking all over the pl- place. That's how I see this podcast. I mean, it is the perfect bite. It's not too stale, it's not too soggy, no soggy bottoms here people, but welcome along to the show. So, you know, we're trying to get the podcast done, the Ryder Cup has started, one of my favourite sporting events. It is funny though, you get somebody who doesn't like sport, Um, you know, you're you're going out with somebody, married, uh, partnered with somebody who doesn't like sport. And they say, well, it seems like there's some sort of important sporting event every week. Well, there is, but the Ryder Cup comes around every two years. And uh, very nostalgic, I actually went to the Ryder Cup in 1993 with my dear dad. And uh, we had a good time. I mean, we saw Seve Ballesteros, Nick Faldo, Montgomery, uh, Payne Stewart, Fred Couples, all of those types of players from the, from the mid-90s. Uh, you know, I know my father was a little bit worried when, towards the end of the day, I uh, I decided to use one of the portaloos, which is always dangerous using portaloos at sporting events, and I saw a huge crane dragging one of the portaloos up in the air, and he was thinking that I was having a new sort of uh, a type of Great America uh, roller coaster type experience of uh, sitting on the pot whilst hoisted into the air in a portaloo. Luckily, that wasn't the case. But you know what? That could be a. You'd need a strap or something to secure you to the to the loo whilst being hoisted into the air uh, by the crane. I mean, it, it may be the perfect spot, though, if you're a little bit shaky around roller coasters like I am, you know, where you always feel like you need, uh, you know, a doggy doo doo bag to, like, throw up in, basically. Uh, any type of thing. I mean, I, I feel a little bit giddy. Going round, uh, going round a Ferris wheel. That's about as excitement. And I remember, you know, the even those like teacups that went around slowly. Those carnies used to spin those around. I mean, they used to vigorously spin those cups around, so you felt like your stomach was left uh, somewhere up in Scotland. But anyway, well, welcome along to the program. Here we are. And it's a typical sportsman type thing where you feel that, okay, it's been a bad start to the event. I'm not going to watch it. If I don't watch it, maybe they'll do better. It's like wearing a lucky pair of socks or an odd pair of socks or your lucky pants. Like you're going out on a date and you're putting your lucky uh, tighty-whities on, you know. Maybe they've been lucky in the past. But you are you wearing a certain type of tighty-whities or boxer brief. Or maybe a boxer brief with palm trees on it. Like I used to back in the day, had green boxer briefs with palm trees on it. You know, no wonder I didn't get a date for probably twenty years. I mean, that's you know, don't yeah exactly. Look at what you're wearing underneath uh, underneath the khakis. I, I still can't quite. Elocute how the Americans say it. Khakis, it's khakis, it's not khakis. It sounds like when we at Brutza, it sounds like khakis, it sounds like you're unlocking your vehicle. Khakis instead of khakis. Yeah, I can never get used to it. And then my American accent sounds like a Southern Bell. It either goes Southern Bell or it goes Janice from Friends. Oh my god. Or, you know, it's like. Have yourself a nice day, boyfriend. It's, it's it's like that. So my American accent is uh, abysmal, absolutely abysmal. I'm hats off to anybody. I know Hugh Laurie is very good uh, with uh, with the accents, but this is the podcast. It's keep calm and cauliflower cheese. It's episode one, two, three. I mean, episode one, two, three is a big one for this podcast. It does take me back to that rather abysmal game show which i think it was actually three to one back in the 80s where you had an older game show host with a misfitting suit and his sidekick was a trash can a rubbish bin and you got a rubbish bin as your prize as well that really is the quality entertainment i'm trying to provide to you on uh, on the podcast today and some of the things that we may or may not be discussing on the podcast again don't hold me to this you know we haven't got the uh the stones of Abraham or Moses they haven't been carved out with the uh, dictation and playlist and running order of what this podcast is going to be everything is erasable on this podcast including probably your dear host I mean I'm expecting to be cancelled at any minute but let's talk about the house that I saw built recently that has a view of the highway instead of the mountain what do you think about that? Eccentric classic writers. Part of our uh, eccentric edition here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Uh, wearing plus twos or plus fours. We'll be giving you the requirements for wearing, you, you know, those long socks that go right up to the knees that golfers used to wear, that I still like to wear. I'm wearing a pair of them today. You have to be a little bit careful because old wool does chafe. So be careful about that. I also took a lovely Uber. It was basically in a ghost train. So I took the ghost train Uber the other day. We'll be talking about that. The biggest crow in the world was following me. What does a big crow, what does a huge, gigantic, ginormous crow following you actually mean in the scheme of things? In the spiritual world, what does it mean? Have you ever walked past a Zoom call and then suddenly realizing that you're not quite put together? We'll be talking about that as well. Uh, we'll be playing you a mystery sound. Try to guess what this mystery sound is. And we'll be playing that very, very shortly. Um, also, uh, Pajama Boy. My new uh, my new friend on the morning walk is Pajama Boy. All sorts of different pajamas every day. I've never seen a lad who has uh, so many pajamas. A different one every day when he's walking his dog. Biden and Boris. Uh, you know, never the twain. Probably... Uh, Probably not brothers in arms, uh, more like the odd couple. And, uh, and also uh, getting notes from, uh, from my daughter's school talking about new TikTok trends. Have you heard about devious licks? Have you ever had dripping pickle juice uh, before? Awful. How do you get dripping pickle juice off everything? Um, and uh, also, um, yeah, the AILs have been out again, out and about. And they're talking about uh, giving me medication for a certain type of disease. I'm, I have no idea why. Uh, also, uh, coming in on the news on the week, why UK citizenship uh, test makes, uh, makes no sense at all. How Nixon's suspicious mind led to Elvis spying on John Lennon. Bees killed dozens of rare penguins on Boulder's Beach. How Daniel Craig's body became his Bond signature. And like how my body... You know, with elasticated corduroy trousers became my signature as well. Prince Philip's barbecue trick failed to cut the mustard with the queen. Uh, We're talking flavoured condoms again. Also, um, you know, you you had to get your shopping in for Christmas early. Some of the weirdest Christmas themed sex toys ever created. Uh, CFAX was created a few days ago in 1974. Before the internet, CFAX and Teletext was the way you got your news. You could watch an entire cricket test match whilst... Uh, watching teletext or cfax Um, also how close do you like your baked beans to your sausage we'll be seeing if that's a euphemism later or not but again I've decided that after the start of the Ryder Cup at the moment Europe's not doing very well I've decided to walk away and because I'm walking away I truly do believe it's like crossing your fingers uh, or not walking under ladders I truly believe that superstition will help Europe get back into the match. We shall see. And I will report back to you tomorrow on the podcast if I've been successful. So dirty is the new black and green. So how often do you wash your jeans? The answer is probably too often, according to the experts. While many shoppers are shunning fast fashion or making a concerted effort to buy less, we're overlooking one important matter, the environmental mental impact of our washing machine and tumble dryer. A new report says there's a huge environmental impact urges people to do their laundry less frequently with the exception of underpants. The uh, SCI report published in the Chemistry and Industry Week says reducing the amount of microfibers being washed into the environment, using less water and uh, producing fewer greenhouse gases uh, and also, Solo de Castro, founder of the fashion revolution, says the reality is we tend to pick clothes from the floor and stick them in the washing machine without inspecting their needs. You must. Before washing machines were invented, uh, washing was laborious and tiring exhausting. So there's millions of ways to wash less and to make clothes last a long time between washes. Spot cleaning, refreshing, steaming, sponge cleaning, brushing. Uh, steaming, for example, can be achieved by placing a garment as close as possible to a shower without getting it wet. So when you have a shower, don't get it wet. You can hang it up and uh, get all rid of those nasty creases. For mud stains, wait until they've dried and use a clothes brush. That's an old-fashioned thing. I remember my grandmother saying you need to use a clothes brush to brush off that, uh, brush off all that uh, dirt and umskat. For food stains, carry a small sponge around and a little bit of a dash of dash of the apple cider vinegar one wants to be clean obviously i try to apply good judgment and go by the rule with when clothes smell they need to be washed i mean i don't want to stick my snout into somebody's altogether's you know try to use a lower temperature in short cycles they're actually improving detergent that works better on lower on lower temperatures if we all washed our clothes slightly less frequently could make a big impact as well as the microfibers, the detergents go into the sewage system and there's an energy cost of running your washing machine and dryer and cleaning up the effulent at the sewage plant. Okay, so here we go. You need to take a load off. The freezer does the job just as well. Steam your netware. Steam will immediately re- refresh a piece of netwear and release most, most indeed, most of the creases. Turn the hot tap on close to the shower. Curtain or door, hang your garments up as close as possible to the tap without getting it wet. Also, this sounds like a sign for that, appu, Carry a sponge at all times. Not that sort of sponge. I always carry a small sponge with me. If you act fast, you can spot clean using only your sponge and a little bit of warm water and a drop of apple cider vinegar. I mean, where do you put the apple cider vinegar bottle? I mean, they're made of glass. I mean, if you carry it in your back pocket, you can sit on it and cause your posterior all sorts of glass you know if you have somebody somebody to come along and you know pull the pieces of glass out of your bottom on greasy stains I prefer a dab of clear dish soap or powder you can also freeze your jeans I mean who has enough space in their freezer to freeze your jeans especially you know when they're you know know, above a 38 inch waist let me put it that way throw them into into the freezer overnight and lower the temperature it will kill most odour causing bacteria Yeah, but what happens if you put the jeans next to a a packet of Brussels sprouts? Then your jeans will smell like frozen Brussels sprouts. You can also use salt. Salt is ideal for absorbing excess liquid while de-staining the same time. Apply to stubborn wet stains after spillage. Brush, brush off dirt. That's where you need your clothes brush, people. Brushing works wonders with wools and tweeds. It gets rid of mud, jam, honey, or anything that gloops. I mean, for glooping, we need to call our good friend Gwenny Paltrow. She's uh, the gloop expert. And also hand wash underwear. (laughs) I mean, sometimes you need your clothes brush to brush those off too. Wash gently by hand. Underwear spends less time bouncing around the machine, so shredding fewer microfibers. Delicate lingerie fabrics such as silk and lace suffer less with wear. Okay, that's a reminder. All my silk underwear needs to be hand washed. Just a quick update on my uh, dear doorman. Uh, so, you know, decided to go l- to lunch with my boss, the uh, the master butler. And um, so left, and the doorman said, oh, heading out to lunch, going anywhere nice? You know, so always, always asking questions, always the inquisitive doorman. And, you know, I wanted to leave just a tad early. Just a tad early. Had to get back to the hounds. And I didn't want to walk past him again. So I decided to go right down to the lower floor and walk, back, walk out through the garage. And um, anyway, so of course, coming out of the garage, and he saw me. Oh, I said, oh, heading off early, are you? He saw me. I mean, this guy must have some sort of GPS. He, he's probably inserted some sort of Apple tag GPS somewhere on my body. I feel like James Bond now. I need to go through a metal detector and find out where the doorman's inserted the GPS tag because he's been following me. You know, we we all need GPS tags. Tags my my dear old dad, you know, spent like 5 hours at Specsavers the other day and my mother was waiting for him at the supermarket and uh, didn't know where he was. So, you know, when when the older gentlemen who don't have cell phones, they need to be they need to be tagged. Like like a sheep, you know, branded and probably tagged in the air, or something along those lines, so you can track them, you understand where they are. You know, they don't want to be uh, messing too close to the forest and getting uh, caught up by wolves or anything like that. So, you know, we need tagging, we need more uh, GPSing, but the doorman does, I feel, have, uh, he, he does have me tagged. There's no doubt whatsoever that that guy knows exactly where I am at all times. So it's a wonderful place to live uh, here in Colorado and you have sort of mountain vistas all around. I mean, you can't really miss them. You have beautiful mountain vistas where you can see lovely, uh, you know, lovely uh, sunsets. You can see dawns. I mean, it's it's absolutely beautiful. So I think if you're having a house built, if I was lucky enough to have, you know, a very large chappy towers, I, I see almost like Downton Abbey built uh, overlooking these types of vistas, I would want to have a view of the mountains. So you see all these huge houses being built all around the place at the moment. The market, the property market's crazy. So yeah, I would want to have a good view. But this one house has huge windows. I mean, first of all, I don't want like huge windows like a greenhouse because I feel everybody will be watching you. I remember when I lived in Chicago. Now, everybody had a telescope. Why would he have a telescope in the middle of the city? Because everybody's a voyeur. Everybody's a peeping Tom. And they all like to see what the other person's doing. You know, they want to see what sort of aubergines you've got. They want to see, uh, you know, how you you mix your risotto. Do you add a little dash of parmesan? And of course, they want to see, you know, the boudoir activity. And then we're not talking about what moisturiser you put under your eyelids at night. But it's the same, I wouldn't want a, a full window, a full greenhouse effect so people could see me. But if you are going to have a huge window facing somewhere, why face that window towards the motorway or the freeway? You want to face that huge window with your mountain view. Because when you walk up the stairs uh, to the upper echelons, you want to see that beautiful mountain view. You don't want to see a view of the freeway You don't want to see rush hour, you want to see the snow-tipped mountains and, you know, the weather swirling around and the weather moving in. And another thing, the traffic will be slowing down to look through your bloody window. So not only are you seeing the traffic, people are looking in and they're watching you. So a little ditty for you to take on your way today. A cannibal was walking through the jungle and came upon a restaurant operated by a fellow cannibal. Feeling somewhat hungry, he sat down and looked over the menu. Uh, Grilled tourist, $5. Broiled missionary, uh, $10. Fried explorer, $15. Baked politician, $100. The cannibal asked the waiter over and asked, Why such a high price for politicians? The cook replied, Have you ever tried to clean one? They're so full of shit it takes all day. Have you ever taken a citizenship test? I think I would ace a citizenship test uh, ahead of many Americans. But on, in the UK, though, uh, just who built the Tower of London? This is a lovely article by uh, Matt Rudd. Um, so if, if you had to take the Home Office exam for real, uh, Rudd thinks he'd be deported. I think I'd do rather better, though. So who built the Tower of London? Uh, no Googling. You have to get it right or you can't stay. What did the Chartists campaign for? Come on, everybody knows that one. What did hereditary peers lose in 1999? Quick now, you have already lived here. If it's not as you've just arrived or an overloaded uh, dinghy after a desperate trudge across the world only to be booed by Kevin and Sandra on a deal beach, tell us what did the peers lose? Their glasses, their marbles, their Habsburg chins. During the 18th century, Britain fought a number of wars with which country? Uh, there's one that's particularly annoying. It's an actual question from uh, the live UK test. You have to choose between South Africa, India, Scotland, and France. There's several annoying countries in there actually. Uh, you're not allowed all of them. Scotland is obviously the trick answer, but it uh, wasn't all about justice and love between the uh, English and the Scots in the 1700s. Hello, Jacobite rebellion. Uh, Britain also spent quite a lot of the 18th century rampaging around India. Uh, hello, uh, Carnatic Wars and uh, everything uh, that was nice wasn't probably happening in South Africa, but of course the correct answer is France. And the Home Office test has claimed, like a bad pub quiz, it's more like bad history lesson devised by somebody who knows nothing about history, but is pretty sure that Britain won it. This is an interesting one from the test. Which two of the following are not fundamental principles of British life? A, driving a car, B, looking after the environment, C, treating others fairly, D, looking after yourself and your family, Other questions include, name a Gilbert O'Sullivan opera. No, I was raised to look down on Gilbert O'Sullivan. Better question is, do you like Gilbert O'Sullivan? Um, Other questions, though, it it felt more like the George Orwell had written uh, for a short story. He decided was too subtle. What percentage of the total British population is located in England? 84%, 60%, 58%, 79%? Answer, 84%. Uh, there is no way it had anything to do with what it means to live in the UK. But we'd quite like you to know that England is way more populated than other bits of the country. In which we, in which decade did uh, the British film studios flourish? Who gave Henry VIII the son he wanted? In which century did uh, Ruby originate? Would it be more sensible uh, vetting system do it in a quiz form, uh, like a trivial pursuit or the UKIP election, for example? Which is worse, a broken arm or or joining the back of the queue, only to realise it's not the back. soup arrives tepid, do you complain to the waiter, or mutter inaudibly to yourself? Uh, What do you call a man with a spade in his head? Should members of the Ballinger Club be banned from public office? After how many days of sunshine do you start complaining about all the sunshine? Uh, If somebody uh, says, I'll see what I can do, will you see what they can do? If somebody says, I might come down later, what are the chances that they'll come down later? Nil. And if you could help applicants decide on where in the UK should they live, uh, which one additional question? Under what circumstances would you talk to a stranger on a train? A, they're reading a book you've just read. B, it's a beautiful morning. C, the train's on fire. D, none of the above. All the D's come down here. Surely that question is more helpful than when did English become the preferred language in the royal court? I think if somebody's willing to join the back of the queue, they can be immediately considered British. They They do not have to stop at go and they can collect 200 pounds because if they will join the back of the queue without complaining, they're immediately a British citizen. So have you had any social dilemmas recently? Have the artificially intelligent elves, the AI elves been trying to sell you things that you don't want or completely misunderstood the data that you keep uh, putting into your device or computer and uh, and reading out something that you don't really need uh, or you're completely confused why are they trying to sell me these things? So I got a, a little note coming through, medication for Peroni's disease. I thought, well, okay, well, what's uh, what's the medication for the Peroni's disease? I thought, well, it must be that something to do with those filled dumplings made by wrapping unleavened dough around a savoury sweet filling and cooking in boiling water that are often pan-fried uh, before serving. Um, so that's something to do with dumplings. Uh, and then I... Uh, did a little bit more research and googled. And Baraghi's uh, disease is a connective tissue disorder involving the growth of fibrous plaques in soft tissue of the penis. Specifically, scar tissue forms in the tunica albuginea, the thick sheaf around tissue surrounding the corpopa cavernosa, causing pain, abnormal curvature, erectile dysfunction, uh, indentation, loss of girth, and shortening. So, Oh, my God, I thought it was something to do with the uh, with the dumplings and the unleavened dough. Um, something about the sweet filling. Um, but I thought it was maybe odd indentations in the uh, dumplings. Uh, maybe a limited girth in the dumplings and short dumplings. Nothing like this. I thought it was pierogi's disease. So there's a new book out about George III by Andrew Roberts. Americans still dismiss him as a cruel tyrant, but Andrew Roberts, his new book, is having none of it. He was a decent, kind, moral monarch, George III. But the coronation of George III was a shambles. From start to finish, it began with the officials losing the sword of state and rapidly descended into abject chaos with the king forced to shout instructions to the befuddled clergy. Since the ceremony at Westminster Abbey lasted six hours, many of the spectators had picnics sent in and at solemn moments, a clattering of knives, forks and plates, and pinging of glasses could be clearly heard. At the dinner afterwards, there was enough chairs for the guests while the hereditary uh, champion arrived on horse, hired from the circus that disgraced itself by backing into the king. A wretched banquet and a foolish puppet show, the writer Horace Walpole declared. Poor George. He ruled Britain and Ireland for almost 60 years and was at the time the longest reign in our history. Yet on this side of the Atlantic, he's remembered only as a blundering oath His insensitivity uh, lost the American colonies, or as the Mad King, or supposedly held an earnest conversation with an oak tree under the impression it was the King of Prussia. In the U.S., he is remembered as a cruel tyrant whose exactations drove the colonists into rebellion. To quote the Declaration of Independence, George was the incarnation of death, desolation, and tyranny. Already, uh, began with a circumstance of cruelty and perfidy are scarcely paralleled in, in most barbarous ages. The portrait of a heartless, absolute sovereign, says the historian Roberts. is repeated almost every single day in the American print media and online and taught in schools. Not even remotely, says Roberts. George never came close to being an absolute monarch, yet alone a tyrant who's well-meaning, hard-working, decent, a dutiful moral cultured and kind. Unlike early modern monarchs, he tried to do his best for his children and thought deeply about his responsibilities as king. He also met his subjects. Uh, he almost uh, would behave with admirable humility. Roberts tells a lovely story about an occasion when he's strolling in the fields near Weymouth. George came across a woman milking a cow. Not recognising him, the woman said that he'd been able to go with her friends to see the king because they had five children and couldn't afford to take the time off work. At that, George pressed a guinea into her hand. Then you can tell your companions that the king came to see you. The king's mental health. Roberts has no truck with the idea he suffered uh, from severe mental uh, disorders. Instead, he thinks the king suffered from bipolar disorder that was almost uh, exacerbated by the horrific treatments devised by the doctors, such as cupping—not uh, the you know cupping you have on your back these days—but involved applying heated glass to the skin before cutting it open to drain away supposedly infected blood, which was in reality uh, perfectly healthy. He also uh, suffered bouts of depression. George ended his days as a lonely old man with a long white beard, sitting in a wheelchair playing music on a harpsichord, but he could no longer hear it. It's a tragic end for a king who had always taken his responsibilities immensely seriously and has seen his country lose an empire, gain another one, see off the French and enter the new century as by far the greatest industrial naval powers in the world. Roberts writes, more than filled with the role of king of England worthily, he filled it nobly. And after reading this mammoth, Uh, biography no open-minded reader could possibly disagree maybe not even an American regular listeners to the show would remember that birds are a huge part of my life the the feathered variety and uh, I've had magpies congregate around me follow me I've had hawks swooping in and follow me to within an inch of my nose. And most famously, the great horned owl that liked to follow me at dawn. And I thought that was maybe part of my impending doom to come. That's old Native American folk tales. if Owls Follow You. But I've recently, today, I saw the the biggest crow I've ever seen. The Big Daddy, the rock of crows. Was peering up at me. Whilst consuming a carcass. Of one of its fallen friends. So I've got a cannibal crow basically on my hands here. And I was thinking this is very Stephen King. This is very The Stand. Or some of his other novels as well. Where crows, ravens show impending doom ravens if they leave the Tower of London will represent the falling of the monarchy so there always has to be ravens in the Tower of London but in this case we had a cannibal crow who wasn't just like discreetly nibbling away at the carcass was taking huge chunks huge bites he was ravenous basically I'm thinking what does this mean there must be some symbolic spiritual meaning in the bird animal kingdom to a bird eating a carcass in front of me maybe as I said one of its fallen friends what does that mean it can't be good though surely this immense bird huge wingspan chomping away so I did a bit of research and it basically said, talked about a dream of a crow eating. Well, this was a reality, but in the dream though, the crow eating is a positive omen indicating that you will achieve great success in the future. Well, come on lads. It's 44 years coming. (laughs) We need to get it. We need to get a wriggle on here. You may be putting in long hours and striving for your aspirations. Well, here I am, hunched over a microphone, churning out another masterpiece. In the coming days, you will have a great deal of luck and achieve all of your objectives. In this shorter term, honestly, I mean, how many thousands of days it's been? Apparently, dreaming about a crow eating meat indicates your ancestors' spirits are guarding you. I, I don't, a cannibalistic crow eating meat I mean it doesn't I don't think my ancestors are looking out for me in this way but anyway so it seems to be a positive omen indicating that you'll achieve great success in the future or I will achieve great success in the future uh, and also it indicates that my ancestors are looking over me you know what I think I'm going to pull a cracker Or maybe eat a fortune cookie and see what that reads now. Oh no, is another or trombone. A dad and son are sure that their house is haunted. And they say they won't call an exorcist, but they don't want to piss off the mysterious entity in their home. Mark Wahlberg uh, says that there's one room in his home in Oldham, Greater Manchester, with an eerie presence. His dogs avoid it and sometimes growl at the things in there. There's a strange smell to the room and most worryingly, objects left in appear to move around on their own. Despite describing himself as sceptical, eventually Mark and his son decided to set up a motion-activated camera in a room. What he saw when he checked the photos horrified him. Mark, who works as a painter, says the unexplained paranormal activity, which has been going on for a couple of years, started small. Things would go missing, I'd hear strange noises, but would not think very much of it. Things would go missing too. I always leave my wallet downstairs at the side of the microwave, but next thing it was in the drawer in the upstairs room. My son Zachary has a tendency to leave his keys by the door, and they'll end up in the middle of the kitchen floor, these heavy things that they just don't drop. You'll hear the dogs bark and come downstairs, and the keys will be on the floor. So Zachary came up to me and said, uh, and said, I gave him the back bedroom, and he kept saying he was smelling strange smells. Initially, I... Just thought, oh, whatever, it must be the neighbors. Zachary likened the smell of the room to a bin being wide open. He always has candles on to, and try and mask it. I'm a bit skeptic. I don't really believe any of this supernatural stuff. But they got the idea to set up a camera and a motion detector. When they saw what triggered it, they took pictures, thinking of everything they should try to debunk it. We thought it surely must be a fly going onto the lens or something. But then this shadowy thing would appear beside the bed in the corner, above the bed, everywhere. We had no explanation for it whatsoever. So these guys are too scared to call an exorcist. But come on, you're going to have to call Ghostbusters. And a Google Maps user is convinced that they are spotted a sea dragging on the popular site. Google Maps shenanigans. Uh, they said they found a sea dragon. Other users of Google Maps were not sure about the mythical find. Cool, looks like a snake in my opinion. and Another added, that's a rock. The original poster remains convinced that the shape which resembles a dragon is in fact a sea dragon. The latest curious find came up just days after someone on Google Maps uploaded a horrifying image that could be the Kraken. I mean, in all honesty, they've just been smoking too much of the Puff the Magic Dragon, in my opinion. To remind you that smoking is not permitted anywhere on the station. And forget healthy eating and regular exercise. One Frankenstein surgeon thought implanting a monkey's testicles into a man's body was the best way to boost his libido, cure constipation and reverse baldness. The controversial Serge Voronoff made his fortune charging blokes for the bizarre and gruesome procedure, which thankfully wasn't a trend that stuck around for very long. Voronoff, a Russian-born Frenchman, carried out his grisly work in the early 20th century and became known as the monkey gland expert thanks to his research on testosterone. In a newspaper interview in the 1920s he also boldly claimed that people could live to 140, three times the life expectancy with the insertion of a monkey's testicle. He told the Sunday Mercury one man of 85 found that his heart strengthened, he could walk better, his mind was keener, bald-headed men were delighted to find they were growing a new crop of hair after having the testicles and balls implanted. No, no, you were meant to put them in a smoothie or the balls in a cocktail. (laughs) Apparently now you can buy some branded condoms. So Nike are selling condoms saying, just do it. Adidas is saying, impossible is nothing. Uh, McDonald's, of course, the Golden Arches. I'm loving it. Uh, Nike's Condom said, just do it. Burger King said, have it your own way. Uh, KFC, finger licking, good. Uh, and then we have Energizer. It keeps going, 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 and going if the Energizer bunny. And Gatorade, is it in you? It's been bloody brilliant ever new here today uh, listening to the podcast. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast. Always like and subscribe across the whole platforms. I'm now on verbal as well, apparently. I just, uh, the podcast was released under Verbal. V U R B L um, is another platform where you can listen to it. Obviously, the more traditional ones, Apple Music, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, are the main ones you can listen to. Um, But uh, I'm across other ones as well Pandora. If you do decide to lift up a staticky dryer sheet, you can hear the very, very slight, very quiet tones of keep coming cauliflower cheese emanating from the static so again you can hear us absolutely uh, absolutely everywhere Uh, if you like music though if you're more of a musical fan then uh, the spotify uh, butler emporium edition where there's a sort of chappy playlist uh, could also be the one for you if you like huey lewis and the news the talking heads uh, if you like uh, the Go-Go's, Ben Folds, uh, Noel Gallagher, High Flying Birds, uh, Black Grape, Robbie Williams, then that's a place for you this week. Because all of those guys are going to be featuring on the uh, on the Chappie playlist. Uh, but marvellous having you here. Uh, I will be returning again tomorrow. As I said at the top of the show, sports fans do think that their presence or superstitions have some sort of effect on their team. Now, me avoiding watching the Ryder Cup uh, for the rest of the day, uh, because this, uh, this episode of the podcast is a little bit staccatoed, uh, I recorded some earlier and some later. Uh, but it hasn't made a jot of difference. Not that I think it would do, but you know, one day you decide to wear an old pair of socks and your team wins forever on, until eternity you'll keep wearing an old pair of socks uh anyway coming up next is the poem upon an autumn day once upon an autumn day colorful leaves begin to fade in the midst of a chilly frosty air as multitude of trees grow steadily bare once upon an autumn day the whispering breeze was here to stay moving aimlessly through the countless trees scattering leaves with the greatest of ease Once upon an autumn day, the leaves whirled freely in every way, until at last they came to rest, finding a haven in which to nest. Once upon an autumn's day, the trees were dormant and the leaves lay, waiting for the winter snow to fall, to quickly obscure them one and all. Again, thank you very much for listening. I shall return tomorrow. Until then, cheerio for now.